Good morning. It's 11 minutes before 8 a.m. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is Wednesday, January 11th, 2023. I'm Peter Apathy with Raven News. Trollers turned out at the Sitka Assembly meeting last night to voice concerns about a court case that could shut down commercial salmon trolling in southeast Alaska. Fishermen and representatives from the Alaska Trollers Association, or ATA, asked the Assembly to consider contributing $25,000 to their legal defense fund. The ATA is a defendant in a suit against the National Marine Fisheries Service brought by a Seattle-based environmental group in 2020. The Wild Fish Conservancy wants to stop the southeast king salmon troll fisheries, which they argue will protect an endangered population of killer whales in Puget Sound. ATA challenges those claims, saying science points to outside forces like pollution, not fisheries, as the central threats to the orcas. But in December, a federal judge in Washington issued a report that would put the fisheries at risk of closure. The ATA is objecting to the report and expects its legal expenses to increase. Assembly members voiced support for the urgent funding request. Most said they'd vote in favor of donating $25,000, and some said they'd be open to contributing more. But where the money would ultimately come from is still unclear. Both the city's general fund and the fisheries enhancement fund were suggested as possible sources. The assembly didn't take a vote last night. Assembly members Tor Christensen and Kevin Mosier, who co-sponsored the discussion item, said they'd bring an ordinance to the table for the Assembly for a vote at the next regular meeting on January 24th. We'll have more coverage of the ATA funding request and other business at the Sitka Assembly table on Raven News tonight at 518. The chairman of Sea Alaska Corporation and four education officials are the finalists to serve as the chancellor of the University of Alaska Southeast. The Alaska Beacon reported on Monday the university announced the short list of candidates for the job that will open when current Chancellor Karen Carey retires at the end of June. The Chancellor of UAS serves as the university's chief executive officer and will be appointed by University of Alaska President Pat Pitney. In a statement online, Pitney said the finalists, quote, are all leaders chosen from a pool of diverse and highly qualified candidates. UAS has a main campus in Juneau and satellite campuses in Ketchikan and Sitka. It's the smallest of the three schools that includes the University of Alaska Fairbanks and the University of Alaska Anchorage. The five finalists will visit all three UAS campuses in the coming weeks. A final selection will be made after those visits, likely in the middle or end of February, according to Pitney. Traditional Filipino folk dance and music classes are returning to Ketchikan this spring. The classes are part of a Ketchikan Wellness Coalition program aimed at promoting health and cultural heritage in the Filipino community. KRBD's Reagan Miller has more about the program and the kinds of classes that dancers remember in Ketchikan from years ago. Growing up in Ketchikan, Lynn Buendia McClendon's parents put her in traditional dance classes when she was around eight years old. We did it for festivals and we did parties and we did it for the um, cruise ships. She remembers Tenickling, a dance performed with bamboo sticks. She says the bamboo poles represented herons and the dancers represented how the birds would walk through nature. There's also a candle dance, and I don't remember exclusively what the candle dance was supposed to represent, but we all had candles that we held in our hands, and it was all that one was all women. The Tenickling was usually um, co-ed, so it was boys and girls. 
and it was usually pairs, so like my brother's dance, my cousin's dance. And for the younger dancers, there was the coconut dance. They do that with coconut shells, and it, um, they always were always laughing and having fun. But right now, there isn't a public place in Ketchikan for adults and kids to learn these types of traditions. The Filipino Community Center closed its doors in 2015. That's why the Ketchikan Wellness Coalition applied for a grant from the Alaska Community Foundation. The grant will allow the organization to start at Mugsayon 1 Ketchikan, a series of traditional folk dance and music classes with dedicated instructors. The classes will start this spring for adults and children alike. For the next generation, it's a doubly important step towards connecting with culture. McClendon lives with her children in California now and hopes they'll one day be able to learn the same dances she did growing up in Ketchikan. I really treasure and like those memories and that we were part of that. And now my kids are starting to ask questions and I'm hoping that they'll be able to pick it up and be able to pass it on to their kids. Gina Kaplan took up traditional Filipino folk dance when she was in elementary school. Her parents moved to Ketchikan from the Philippines and signed her up to learn. When my parents had introduced it to us saying, hey, it's really important that you learn kind of uh, the cultural dance of like where we came from and trying to pass along traditional dance. And, you know, as a child, you're like, oh, great. We're being forced into like entertaining our parents. She now lives in Oregon. But looking back, Kaplan is grateful for the chance. She's still friends with many of the others who took the classes with her over four decades ago. I think about those days on a weekend when we as a community would gather and it would always be potluck style and you would have all kinds of traditional Filipino foods brought on to a point where it was like a an event, a fun event that as kids that we look forward to being able to see each other and convene and celebrate, you know. She hopes that the classes will be a way for younger Filipino people in Ketchikan to connect with their roots. We've got, like, first, second, third generation born in the U.S. who have not really had a connection to, you know, the Philippines and kind of their way of life and tradition and culture. Ketchikan Wellness Coalition staff expect that the classes will start up in May and run through October, when there will be a final showcase leading up to the community's Phil Am Festival. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Reagan Miller. A collection of 50-year-old audio recordings from the Aleutians has been digitized and is now available online. As KUCB's Maggie Nelson reports, the tapes have sat on a shelf until recently. Now anyone with internet access can listen to them. The recordings were part of an Unalaska school project from the 70s, meant to bring the Aleutian and Unangach culture into the classroom. There's about 60 reel-to-reel audio tapes that make up the collection. They document everything from day-to-day activities to historic events, from fishing stories and recipes to accounts from the lost Aleutian villages that were forcibly evacuated during World War II. Here's a clip from one of them. It's Elder Bill Trepanoff teaching students about an Aluktach, a skin-on-frame sea kayak. So this is called an Aluktach, they call it. Yeah. Right, darker, right? The, the boat, the boat itself, yeah. They said uh, the, the, the big one they made took them two weeks to make. The men made the, the, men made the frame, and in the early days they used uh, sea lion uh, 
skin, so the, the, the women were the ones that Was made it? it soft and the suet on the... The tapes sat for about two decades at the Analaska City School District. They were first collected by a group of students and their teacher who wanted to document the language, culture, and history of the Unungah community and the Aleutian region. The students put together six volumes of written and illustrated accounts based on the recordings. They called those the Cuttlefish Series. From there, nothing really happened with the recordings. They were given to the University of Alaska Fairbanks, and again, they were just shelved for another 20 years. But in late 2020, Leslie McCartney, the curator of the oral history collection at UAF, got a grant to digitize them. And now, about two years later, all of those recordings are online and available to the public. McCartney says there's not a lot of information online right now about each of the recordings, but they are adding more and more as it's reviewed. The recordings can be accessed through UAF's library catalog or through the university's digital repository. Reporting for KUCB, I'm Maggie Nelson. Alaska's population increased just slightly into last year, despite a decade of more people leaving the state than moving into it and higher deaths during the COVID pandemic. The state released the new population estimates last week. The data covers a year-long stretch from July 2021 to July of last year. During that time, Alaska's total population increased by just 451 people. David Howell, the state demographer, says that although more people still left the state, the more than 44,000 new arrivals were a bright spot. So we actually had our largest number of in-migrants to the state since the 2012 to 2013 period uh, between 2021 and 2022. Another good sign? The difference between the number of people moving out versus moving in has also shrunk in recent years. Meanwhile, deaths in Alaska remain high due to COVID, with 6,424 reported statewide, nearly 40% more than two years ago. Alaska's population also grayed slightly, with the share of Alaskans 65 and older increasing by 5%. As for the region with the highest median age, that's the Huna Angoon area in southeast at about 49 years old. The youngest is the Kuzilvak Kent Census area in western Alaska, with a median age of about 24. Howell says overall it's too soon to tell whether the state has bounced back from the throes of the pandemic. We're clearly seeing some pent-up demand for moves, both for Alaska and nationwide. Domestic migration is up quite a bit. But it's hard to, well, impossible to say, really, that if these trends will continue. The Matsu Borough was the state's fastest-growing region, with a population rise of 2.4%. And that's all for Raven News for this hour. You can listen to or read our stories again on our website at kcaw.org. It's coming up on 801 